Here we go. Me, 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 me. Just kidding. It's <laughs> <laughs> felt like doing that. They're going to leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> All I want you to know is I'm here and I'm ready. So come on, baby. Hey, nasty women. I am Samita Mukhopadhyay and my co-host is Kate Harding. And this is Feminasty. Woo. This week, we're talking about pop culture with Dodi Stewart of Splinter. A bit later, we'll be talking about hope in a new segment and hearing what makes you, audience, nasty women. For now, let's talk about this past week. Kate, how are you doing? We just, uh, I celebrate is not really the right word. Um, we just had the one year anniversary of the election of yeah. Donald Trump. How, how are you doing? Well, you know. What made it bearable was the election that happened on Tuesday, the day before, when we saw so many Democratic gains and so many just unexpected, you know, the classic example being Danica Rome, a trans woman unseating the guy who wrote the bathroom bill in Virginia. And it just seemed like there were a lot of wins in smaller races like that. Uh, for Democrats, for I saw someone who was the first Sikh, I saw a 29-year-old Muslim woman who was elected to something. I know that two trans people were elected to the Minneapolis City Council, and that's a council of 15. So we saw lots of just forward motion in terms of representation. And I think one of the really exciting things about that actually is, I'm going to forget her name now, is it Amanda Littman, I think is her name, who does run for something. She's got a book, she's got a an organization. Uh, mm-hmm. And she said, the final total might be more, but on the election night, as I was watching results, I saw a tweet from her that said, 25 people who did run for something won their seats. And, and so that's the thing. It kind of like was a nice big reminder, first of all, that we still can have free and fair elections as far as we know. Yeah. And second, that, you know, getting it together to do these, the smaller races and to think locally and to think about how we can all step up and improve our community, I think it was really exciting and really made it bearable to live through the one year anniversary of our national nightmare. So, so let, let me get this straight. We have a several, I think it was like two trans women. One was elected to like a city council seat in Minneapolis. And then we saw this like big voter. Are you are you suggesting, Kate, that identity politics is a motivator for voters? Is that is that what I'm hearing? I would never say that to me. <laughs> Because if there's anything we've learned from angry white men on the left, it's that identity politics are meaningless. <laughs> I, um, Janae Desmond Harris, who's an editor at the New York Times, had a great tweet where at first she was like, you know, I think, you know, this disproves what everyone's criticism on the left about identity politics was. And then the next morning she tweeted again and she was like, actually, let me clarify. I would like for you to apologize for all the wrong and bad things you said about identity politics in the last year. Yes. Thank you. Oh, my God. Can they be a little bit more wrong and bad in general? Uh, Okay, but wait, no, this is the new feminasty. We are not going to go off on a rant here. Yes. Um, like we're trying to be a little bit less screaming about politics and a little bit more kind of forward thinking and proactive. But, you know, listeners, you'll have to bear with us because it's it's a process. It's a process and it's a process. And 
I, yeah, I mean, I think that in especially, like, I love that we have Dodai this week because she is the perfect example of someone who has consistently worked in places where she's covering politics, but, like, manages to always stay inspired and always stay positive. And that's kind of, like, I've thought a lot about that in the last, definitely in the last year, but in the last week when I was kind of thinking about, you know, just, like, I was obviously very emotional and upset and on the anniversary I got even more emotional and upset and kind of just like finding little things to do in my life and connecting with people to laugh and to not just be like completely in my feelings even though I was really in my feelings (laughs) (laughs) well and we're going to talk more about those strategies in our new segment at the end hope in the dark but for right now let's talk a little bit and this is unfortunately going to take us right down to a sour note again because we are discussing pop culture with Dodai What's going on in pop culture this week, Smita? Uh, um, (laughs) So, you know, self-proclaimed or, you know, I mean, I would even say feminist approved comedian Louis C.K. has, um, turns out, has manipulated and used his power and stature as he so boldly talked about in his own apology um, to expose himself to women um, and specifically undressing himself and masturbating in front of women, which is a really, like, intense hobby um, (laughs) because it speaks to... I'm gonna make Kate cry. She's gonna she's gonna laugh so hard she's crying. Um, It's an intense hobby. It's an intense hobby because it's so is rooted in power in a way that is almost exhibitionism. It's taking advantage of people's space. It's obviously he like defied consent, you know, without ask like mm-hmm. even if he like in his weird apology where he's like I asked for permission so I thought it was okay and it's like as uh you know your best friend pointed out in his blog post <laughs> that would be Dan Savage what is it? <laughs> with whom I have like Dan, Dan Savage pointed out where it was like blog beef huh <laughs> yeah exactly and he he pointed out that like even though Louis C.K. might have asked, he never he, he never waited for anyone to respond. He just went ahead and, and started masturbating in front of these women. So yeah. it's, you know, I think I think Emily Nussbaum had a really good piece in The New Yorker about basically, you know, right now, the question always comes up around when people in pop culture and when artists do something bad, how do we continue to engage with their art? And, you know, I'm definitely of the mindset of like, let's just shut the whole shit down until we figure out what's going on you know like it's like the Trump line but he's wrong and I'm right and I'm like let's just not listen to Chris Brown ever again until we figure out what's going on until these people repent they go to a monastery they find (laughs) Buddhism or Allah or whatever the fuck they need to find and then they come back and they're like ready for action and I'm like yeah and they come back in their next life because in this one I'm done yeah. Um, but yeah, and I'm I'm generally with you. I understand that other people and, and it's it comes back to the whole thing of all your faves are problematic, right? Like, it, I mean, there's problematic, and there's I routinely whip my dick out in front of people who don't want me to do that, and, and those are two different things, and people all have to do it. But it's like whatever the art exists out there. It's not you know at this point what you're seeing is opportunities for 
future projects of his are falling apart and good. But what he's done is still out there. If you liked it, if it was meaningful to you, that doesn't make you a bad person. And in fact, like so many shitty fake feminist allies, he said lots of feminist things. He, I have written about how he was one of the, one of the few people who could do a rape joke well. And I know Sadie, Sadie yeah. wrote something. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but the thing is, uh, I stand by it in terms of the way he constructed that rape joke was not something that was making fun of rape victims. It was making fun of the mindset of a rapist and of this culture that encourages them. So, you know, I, it's it's weird and gross and hypocritical coming from him, but... The joke itself, if you do separate it from the artist, I I maintain was all right. Sadie wrote something, and I I actually didn't read the whole thing yet, although everyone should read what Sadie writes. She's lovely. But, um, you know, she basically said, like, okay, maybe I need to take it back. Maybe rape jokes are never okay, because look who's making them. Look who's making the good ones. So much of the opposition when people would try to talk about shitty men in comedy in particular was like, you know nothing about comedy. Comedy has to be edgy. Comedy has to offend people. And it was like, no, look, we all have good senses of humor, actually. And many of us who are talking about this know people who are working in stand-up comedy, in sketch comedy, in TV. And there are lines and there are differences in the ways that you tell jokes. So I think that the... You know, Louis still made a lot of good comedy. He's also a fucking gross creep. And Mm -hmm. the salient point, I think, to me, is that it's another one where everybody knew. I mean, maybe not as much the general public on this one. I knew from a Jezebel threat a couple years ago. Yeah. My, like, sick hobby of reading blind gossip, like... (laughs) Whenever I'm sitting around, like, and I feel like I've read the rest of the internet and I don't know what to do. I'm like, ooh, I know blind items. And that's how I knew about all of these guys. Yeah. I knew, you know, Kevin Spacey, Weinstein, Louis C.K., it's all been out there about them. And now there finally has to be a reckoning. And I think that that's, that's the key thing. I think a lot of people are really having to examine what they've done to to make things better or to not make things worse at least for other people in comedy i just i think that this opens up new opportunities um and the other side of this conversation is we've consistently in entertainment and in popular culture given men these huge positions of power and now it's time to rethink that strategy. And I think that, you know, we really need to open up. And this isn't just like, oh, just like we need to hire a bunch of women. But like we do. We need to hire a bunch of women. We need to hire a bunch of people of color. We need to hire a bunch of disenfranchised people that have held these stories and have experienced these things to then move them up in these positions and give them creative control and give them their own Netflix shows and get, you know, and it's and it's like that is that is what this is a call to the industry. If I've ever seen one to diversify the industry. I mean, when you hear female comics talk about the sexism they experience, I mean, it's especially bad. It's especially bad in comedy. And, you know, but I also think we're going to see the same like today. I almost tweeted about like this song I really liked. And I was like, oh, man, 
uh, I don't even know anything about this guy. Like, what if he has some kind of, like, I was like, let me just hold back before I tweet. And, you know, and then it got me to thinking about, like, when the music industry starts to expose itself. And it has, right? We have, like, the Kesha story. Mm-hmm. And we have, like, you know, other, we obviously have other stories. But I, I think that is going to be another, like, talk about another industry that's ripe with lack of regulation and produces some of the stuff we love and jam to and also propagate some of the worst lyrics about women ever. Absolutely. And, well, and that's the thing. And we, when we find out, and we will, I mean, we already have in some cases, that the same people who are, I, I mean, not in every case, but in some cases, we're going to find out that the people writing incredibly misogynistic lyrics, what do you know, were also raping or sexually assaulting people. And we're going to have to reckon with that because it's always been such an abstract conversation about whether, you know, misogynistic lyrics are have a net harm on the culture or not. And, you know, whether you can separate the art from the artist in that case and blah, blah, blah. Well, 100% guarantee you we are going to find that some guys who sound like misogynists are, in fact, misogynists who abuse women. No, absolutely. And I think the whole the call to like we can still love their art is, look, Mm -hmm. R. Kelly has been a repeat offender for generations. And I remember Mm -hmm. somebody arguing on Hot 97 just to date myself, like, real, real date myself (laughs) here, in the late 90s, early 2000s, being like, that's his personal life. And I remember me and my girlfriends, who are all hip-hop and R&B fans, we were like, no, this man is sick. Like, this, he is not, he's a sick person, and we should not be endorsing his music, we should not be playing it at the club, we should not be playing it on the radio, because there needs to be social consequences. There needs to be consequences for sexually abusing women. Like, there needs to be consequences. And one of those consequences... And and girls, in his case, sexually abusing girls. girls. And one of those consequences should be that they are shunned from society and they don't get to have media appearances and they don't get to show up at awards shows and they don't get music videos and they don't get record deals and they, you know, you, you know, you know. Right. This is yeah, I know. This is the same thing that I, you know, I started shouting it into the wind with Polanski in 2009 yes. and I've been shouting it into the wind ever since. But yeah, I think one thing that is coming out of this massive watershed right now is people are being forced to recognize it's not just Hollywood, it's not just politics, it's not just comedy. It is every single industry. It is anywhere where power is consolidated among men, which is pretty much everywhere. And and I'm not saying that women wouldn't be just as shitty if we had the power, but we've never had the chance to find out. Yeah. We don't do that because we don't have the power to do that. And maybe it is a function of power, but so far we only know that it's a function of men. Yeah. And <laughs> which, once again, not to say it is a function of men, but, yeah. you know, not to whatever. I mean, we... You know, we joke about being man haters. We obviously are not. And, you know, whatever fucking hashtag not all men. But... But no, that this is something that, and it comes out of toxic masculinity, out of that socialization to feel incredibly entitled. And also it comes from, like, increasingly what we're seeing is a fear of actual competition with women. Like, they use that power to humiliate us and shove us down, and then that keeps us from ever actually directly competing with them at the top levels of these industries. Like, the most 
heartbreaking thing about the Louis C.K. article was looking at and thinking about all of these women in comedy who have had that encounter with him or have been abused or harassed by other men in the industry and have decided, fuck it, it's not worth it. I'm going to leave. It's, you know, it's the same thing as women in STEM fields where they go through incredible harassment and discrimination all the way through their PhDs. And then if they even get to their PhDs, a, a ridiculous number of them end up mastering out because they think this is just not sustainable for for my mental health to stay in a field where I'm constantly demeaned and belittled and harassed. And so, like, where are the women at the top of these fields? They are going off and doing something else where men aren't total shits to them every single day of their lives. Yeah. You know, on that note, <laughs> how do you... So, I still... I'm a big pop culture junkie in general. Like, I... I consume a lot of pop culture and culture in general, knowing that like almost so many of the things I love have some connection to being problematic <laughs> in some way, you know, whether it's like, you know, because one of the things I tweeted last week, I was like, I can't wait till we stop talking about sexual assault and we just talk about how men are shitty to women just because they can be, <laughs> yes. you know, all the like all the layers that we still haven't gotten to yet. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I mean, I was listening to... I listen to some crazy stuff. Like, I listen to Aesop Rocky. Mm-hmm. Like, I listen to Biggie Smalls. Like, I... You know, I'm a huge rap head. Mm-hmm. I'm, I love culture. I love pop culture. And how do you kind of reconcile that stuff? Because it's at a certain point, it's like, we do need to unplug. And we do need to, like, dance. And we need to hang out with our friends. And we need to... You know, and, like, I know that we're so steeped in our kind of framework and and doing the work that we do. But, like, how do you reconcile that I mean look what you do in your private time doesn't have to necessarily be perfectly reflective of all your politics I think you know if you go to a club and something has a good beat and you want to dance to it even though it's problematic for women like I am not going to fault you or spend any time telling you that you should be a better feminist. And same with wanting to watch TV. Same with, I know a ton of feminists who read romance novels. That's not something that particularly appeals to me, Mm -hmm. but like clearly it's, um, it's not a big feminist thing, but you're not hurting anyone when you read it on your own, whether you're hurting anyone by creating demand, whatever, that's a whole other question. But at the same time, like Maura Johnson wrote a piece about, or I'm at the point where I don't even know if it was a piece or a series of tweets. It was a series of tweets that I read. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But where she was talking about how part of what needs to change is the notion that, like, the 18 to 24-year-old male is actually the most desirable demographic. And I think there are a lot of reasons to think that is not true anymore, that there are actually lots of other demographics spending tons of money. There is this idea that if you're not appealing to young men whose like frontal lobes aren't even fully developed yet, then your product is pointless and there's no real market for it. And it's like, how the hell are we letting all of our entertainment, our art, all of our popular culture be aimed at some hypothetical 18 to 24 year old, generally white cis male, straight male, which You know, when you're doing that, then of course you were going to be like, well, the woman just needs to be a beautiful object and the man needs to be cool. And that's all we're ever going to friggin see. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, and she talked about it in the context of music as well, which is similar. I I constantly go back to movies and TV because that's what I'm more into. Mm hmm. 
Well, on that note, I, I think pop culture and our love slash or criticism of it is a great segue into our guest um, this week, who is Dodi Stewart, uh, who I like to call a pop culture queen. So let's let's um, let's shift into a conversation with her. All right. We are so excited today to be joined by one of my dearest friends and uh, just a phenomenal woman, um, someone who has been kind of, you know, low-key behind the scenes of some of the greatest <laughs> websites that that, 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 that that many of us grew up on. We are joined today by Dodi Stewart. She's Hello. currently the editor. Hey, Dodi. <laughs> She's currently editor-in-chief at Fusion. She was previously... Uh, sorry, Splinter. Splinter, I'm... Yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Fusion, Fusion that was recently um, rebranded as Splinter, and I actually love your... Why you guys changed it to Splinter. Can you just say that quickly? It's like, I, I, I really like your, like, one line about something that, like, pierces you. Uh, yeah, we hope to be the kind of news coverage that gets under your skin, Ooh. and uh, it's... The truth hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're sharp and uh, maybe a little pointy. You like to cause your audience pain is what we're getting. (laughs) (laughs) Already answering the question about being nasty women here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then previously to that, Dodai was the deputy editor at Jezebel, um, which is actually where I met her and Kate, you probably as well. um, And what years were you there, Dodai? I was there from 2007 to 2014. And 2007 was when it was founded. Right. Yeah. And so it is currently experiencing its 10th year in existence. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like those anniversaries, what they do is just make me feel old. But yes. um, (laughs) 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 But yes. So obviously, like an amazing career. And Dodai. So one of the things that, you know, Kate and I have been talking to a lot of different women about is kind of how to maintain resilience in a time of uh, Trump in the yes. in the time of Trump and, and how to kind of stay positive. One of the things I've always really admired about you is that while you're in these like very serious roles, like very serious journalistic roles, you've always had this ability to kind of m- focus and be interested in what's considered lowbrow things like culture, pop culture, K-pop. But you always have these like really highbrow takes on that on them. Ha- has your kind of focus changed? You know, your interest in pop culture, like has it? Do you feel it shifting given the current political situation? Well, I it's not that it's shifted, but I do think that I'm more conscious about my time off mm. and my time off from work because mm. in this political climate and running a site that covers news and politics, among other things, um, yeah. basically 24 hours a day, you can feel like, oh my gosh, that's news, <laughs> that's news, that's news. <laughs> um, and it's very easy to get you know, sucked into Twitter, sucked into the cable news programming, you know, sucked into magazine long reads that are work related when you think you're doing a leisure time activity. So I, (laughs) so I think, you know, in the past, in the past, I definitely would take some time to read about the environment or something like that. And I think these days, I try to make sure that my off time is 
really off the clock yeah. <laughs> of, of what mm. work is. And so I'm just really conscious about, yeah, music and television shows that are not set in any version of reality <laughs> that's close to the one that we're in yeah. right now. I like reading historical fiction, some bodice rippers that are set in, you know, Regency era, nice. which just feels very nice and escapist. And, um, you know, it's just, it's better for your brain and your soul. Yeah, I hope that's something that we can actually carry over beyond the Trump administration, assuming that it ends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, do you think we're having free elections at some point? Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, honestly, I felt that too, that really wanting to have my escapes be escapes again. So, but with, when you're at work, like, how do you balance the political coverage and the culture coverage? Have you felt like, oh God, I have more of a responsibility to be super political right now? Or do you feel like it's so important to keep the cultural coverage up? Um, so that Trump is not all we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that it is important to um, have a healthy mix. and But part of the interesting thing is that, um, you know, culture is, a lot of the time, it's where there are important battles being fought. So even some of the culture coverage yeah. is about... Uh, women achieving equity behind the scenes in Hollywood or on television or on the pop charts. These things aren't really always, you know, in bubbles or siphoned off. There, there is a lot of um, inter interplay, interdisciplinary. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, we we definitely, you know, our site is really justice oriented. So that comes along in the territory with culture, with politics, Yeah, you know, in a lot of different areas. So for me, it's just important to have a good mix and we don't want everything to be depressing <laughs> and you want to have some like feel yeah. good stories. But I also think it's important to realize that, you know, we have to fight all these battles simultaneously. And while there are things that are feel like very urgent, you know, around healthcare and immigration. There are also very urgent battles in culture. Sometimes, you know, entertainment can be thought of as quote unquote lowbrow or not as important as politics. But in my opinion, the way that the society sees itself and entertains itself and represents itself on in media to itself is really important. And the things that we're covering, like women in television are, are, you know, making sure there's like racial diversity and inclusion on television, in movies, on the pop charts is just as important. So we definitely cover all of that. You know, I had written about the Emmys um, and I know you've written a lot about diversity on television. Um, You actually wrote a piece a couple of years ago that I, that I always go back to about kind of how television has gotten so much better in terms of diversity than the movies. But one thing I was thinking about at the Emmys this year is, you know, Hollywood was basically trying to present a version of America that Donald Trump is trying to stamp out. And, and we're kind of in this, cultural we're kind of in this moment where pop culture is 
part of the resistance, weirdly, right? So you have like, okay, so the Puerto Rico situation is so dire. The Trump administration is being so irresponsible in their aid. They are not, you know, making it a priority. But then you have like Pitbull using his private jet to help get, you know, services there. Or you have yeah. Beyonce, like, yeah. releases a track, right. you know? Right. And yeah, and Lin Manuel Miranda is bringing like the entire world <laughs> together for a Puerto Rico track. Yeah, I saw that uh, Jesus from Jesus Romero was tweeted uh, that Beyonce and Rihanna are the new FEMA. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's imp- it's important, and yeah. um, and I don't think you can separate those things. I mean, when it comes down to the you know battle for the soul of America, cultural figures have always been involved. Ever you know, in the fifties, you saw uh, Marilyn Monroe sticking up for Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday, and mm-hmm. you know it's happening now too. So, but I think, dude, I'd love to know from you because. You are one of the most resilient people I know. And I think, you know, anyone who can have a long career in media at at any political time (laughs) and still uh, look as great as you do, um, I need to know your secrets. (laughs) Seriously. For those of you who haven't met Dodai out there, she is extremely (laughs) glam. She's a beautiful woman, inside and out. Um, But how do you, you know, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay positive? How do you keep going? Like, like what, what keeps you resilient? I mean, it's such a great question. I don't know the exact answer, except that there, I, I definitely have an inner drive. And, you know, I have a joie de vivre ever since I was a little girl, which is like, I like rainbows and ice cream and sunsets. And even when things get yeah, yeah. bad and you're like, everything sucks, you take your dog for a walk and you're like, oh my God, the sun is setting. It's so pretty. And you listen to like a great Bjork song and it's just, uh, you know, I enjoy, I, I enjoy being alive yeah. Yeah. and uh, all that stuff. I just uh, keep, keep that in mind. And let's not forget the Korean face masks. Oh my gosh. Yes. Integral. <laughs> Korean pop, Korean beauty. Yeah. <laughs> Those are basically the answers. And then just don't think about North Korea bombing anyone. Or vice versa. <laughs> yes. Kate, do you want to ask our, our our final question? I sure will. It's time for the question we ask everyone, which is, what makes you a nasty woman? I mean, I'd like to know what makes you two nasty women. <laughs> Samita, you want to go first? I mean, when I think of nasty, I just think like, you know, I'm like Janet Jackson. Like, I'm there and I'm just like, no, I'm nasty. Like, I am nasty. (laughs) 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 And that means that I am like on top of my shit and I'm like not, you know, it's not necessarily wholesome, but it's like a self-empowered kind of embodied sexuality, I guess. That's kind of what I think of when I think of being nasty. Nice. I think of it very much as just like, I am not what this culture wants a woman to be in so many ways, which is just, I'm fat, I'm loud, I, like Hillary when he called her that, would happily insult Donald Trump to his face. I just, and and I'm outspoken and don't really have a lot of time for, like, the bullshit that women are supposed to be do, that are supposed to do and be to be seen as acceptable in this culture. Wow, those are good answers. <laughs> now, what's yours? What makes you a nasty woman? I mean, I think that mine is a mix of both of yours. I definitely think that mm-hmm. for me, nasty is, yeah, maybe not for polite society, 
but mm-hmm. we're living in an era that's like fuck polite society mm-hmm. and right. uh <laughs> Definitely. I'm, I'm down with that. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dodi Stewart. This was really fun. Thank you guys so much. And apart from Splinter, is there anywhere that people can find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter and I'm a little bit obsessed with it and I feel bad about it, but also yes. follow me. <laughs> All right. Perfect. We always love talking to Dodi, so that was awesome. Um, And one of our favorite things about her, as we discussed, is her incredibly positive attitude. So to that end, we are starting our new segment called Hope in the Dark, which we have named after our uh, contributor Rebecca Solnit's wonderful book by that name. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we're finding hope in these unbelievably bleak times. So, Samita, do you want to uh, tell me what's making you hopeful this week? Yeah, I actually, as difficult as it is, um, the public conversation on sexual abuse and sexual harassment, the fact that it's happening um, and that people are being courageous and they're stepping up and they're either telling their stories or they're looking for ways to join the conversation even though it's sloppy and it's messy and it may not always feel like it has a solution in the moment that does give me hope because i think that one of the biggest problems with rape culture and with our inability to grapple with the epidemic of sexual abuse and the abuse of women is that we don't talk about it and we don't we have shame shrouding our experiences with it. And I think that the more we talk about it, the more it becomes, you know, into people's consciousness as something that we need to grapple with. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, we've been talking about it for years on the one hand, but now we're talking about it differently where what's changed that still feels very strange and and magical to me, and I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, is that people are taking women seriously now. I keep going back to a post that Damon Young wrote uh, on uh, Very Smart Brothers about how he had this like epiphany that he does not really trust women, including his wife, whom he loves like mad. But the way he described it is like, you know, if she's upset at a level of 11, then he assumes that the situation actually deserves for her to be upset around eight. He's just constantly kind of minimizing the level of upset that she and other women express because that's what this culture has taught him to do as a man, to, to believe that women are emotional, that we, we exaggerate, we get carried away, blah, 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 blah. And when he realized he was doing that and how fucked up it was, he stopped, which is amazing. And everyone should go look for that post. But the, I think that's the big thing that like the penny is dropping for a lot of guys right now is this comes out in like, oh, it is. It's every industry and it's pretty much every woman has experienced something like this in her life. And holy shit, we've got a problem we have to deal with. And so, of course, there's a part of me that's like, well, screw you for not believing us for the like at least 40 years that we've been trying to tell you about all of these things. But then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, this is hope. It's it's a very different conversation than what we've ever had in my lifetime. Yeah, and uh, Damon Young gives me hope in the dark. Uh, everybody, like, you should read what he writes. He is a goddamn national treasure. But Kate, what um, what gives you what gives you hope? What what gives you hope in these dark times? 
Well, this is a little bit silly, but like one thing that just made me really happy because I just finally read it today was uh, A.D. Bryant from Saturday Night Live did an interview with The Cut. And and they also did like glamour shots of her, which are lovely. She's so gorgeous. And I, I say all the time that young people give me hope and they do. But like here is a specific young person who gives me hope in a very specific way because I started to get into the world of kind of feminist activism as someone dealing with fat politics and to see a fat woman on the national stage now saying like first of all that she is awesome and talented and spectacular and that they never treat her as anything else on Saturday Night Live is astonishing to me you know I grew up in the Chris Farley years where like all he did was you know throw himself through breakaway tables and shit and he just always played the gross fat guy because that was all anyone could conceive of him as and I mean that gets into a whole other thing of what we find funny and fat men and fat women and whatever but the fact that A.D. Bryant has always been able to just play characters like anyone else and that went including she can play a hot chick like anyone else that does my heart so good as does the fact that she just is the most charming sounding person and she talks in this interview about how like she's off she turns down roles all the time because they're demeaning and I'm like man the fact that you have the confidence to do it and you have the power to do it where you are not someone who is just like I have to be grateful to for whatever's offered me I actually have and and she does I mean she's again like I I can't talk enough about what a talent she is. She makes watching Saturday Night Live bearable. She, yeah, she just impresses me so much. And I think that combined with the forthcoming Dietland project based on uh, Sarai Walker's book, which is about basically massive feminist resistance. And the thing that I love about that too, going back to my old days as a fat blogger, is that the lead is Joy Nash, who did the video called A Fat Rant back in like, 2009 maybe no I don't even know 2008 it might be it might be almost 10 years ago and so she's someone just I know from back then when she was just like another blogger and did her video and she was a struggling actress for all of this time and she just got the lead in this series that is about fat feminist resistance and it's unreal that the series can even exist that the book exists it just all makes me very happy that like this is real measurable progress since I started writing about that shit 10 years ago. And that delights me. That is awesome. All right. Before we end for today, we had some voice memo submissions this week telling us what makes our audience nasty women. We love you all. So please keep submitting audio, keep rating us, keep subscribing and remember stay nasty. I'm a nasty woman because I'm over living under the rules of the patriarchy and societal expectations of women that don't benefit us and hold us back as people and just don't respect us as individual humans. I am a nasty woman because I am not here to coddle and clean up after men. I have things to do. I have to shampoo my hair and work a full-time gig and earn my master's degree and cook dinner and defend my right to bodily autonomy and raise a child who only eats chocolate and mac and cheese. I do not have time to come to the defense of men accused of abusing women, and I am under no obligation to wait for all the facts to come out before I decide if you're guilty. I will not date you if you own a gun, I ain't got time for your Bernie bro bullshit, and I will not let racism and sexism and classism go unchecked. There are people wrong on the internet, and there are people wrong running the country. So here, hold my purse and my beer. Nasty woman coming through.
I am a nasty woman. Something about my existing the way that I am pisses people off. I'm a woman, I'm bisexual, and I'm not afraid to challenge traditional power structures or voice my opinion. I'm a woman in an industry that is dominated by men. It blows my mind that it's 2017 and someone can still be the first woman to do something. But that gives me hope in the dark.